As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. Stay tuned to learn more about BTE's tune-up services. The IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular comes to Extreme Raceway Park in Ferris, Texas, July 26th through the 28th. New to the Summit Sportsman Spectacular in 2019, racers will be able to earn track championship points. Stay tuned for more exciting details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Hello and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Chet Dragon and Jim Rod Cap. Big Jed, what's Hello. new and exciting, sir? Well, first and foremost, congrats on uh, the big win at Joliet over the weekend. That was great to see for you. And uh, other than that, for me, just kind of still winding down from the WFC, I actually think I finished up all my wrap-up business for that event and focusing on the next one. And just getting ready to uh, load my stuff and head to the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout at I-57 Drag Strip, where the lemonade is amazing and a concession stand is the best I've ever eaten from. What about you, bud? If that's not a ringing endorsement. Yeah, just um, <laughs> tying up the loose ends on the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout. Excited for the weekend. It is almost that time. Today's show is going to be a little bit different. I think than anything maybe we've done in the past, certainly than anything we've done recently. No results talk today. I don't think we're going to do a BTE who's hot. 
let's clarify this up front, Big Jed. I don't view us, that'd be me or you, as, as journalists by any means. I think we're opinionists. Hmm. And that's where we're going today. A lot of talk recently about the state of bracket racing, the state of sportsman racing in general, specifically the state of big dollar bracket racing. And we've been meaning to, we've teased this a little bit. We've been meaning to, to tie some of this in. And we started a Google Doc. I think it's eight plus pages long now. So we got a lot of stuff to get to. But this is just you and I bantering back and forth because I think as racers, as promoters, as students of our sport for multiple decades. I mean, I don't want to fluff either one of us up here, but I think we've got a unique perspective here and, and can provide some insight that obviously listeners can take with a grain of salt. And some You're going to agree with us in areas, you're going to disagree with us in others, but uh, I think this is an important subject to talk about right now. Yeah, we're not going to change the course of racing by any means by what we say, but it's just an opinion for those that want to hear it. And I do agree with you that I think that the two of us have positioned ourselves in the sport to where we have a, a pretty solid perspective of what's going on. So look forward to sharing a few thoughts and, and hearing some from you as well. All right, let's start at the top. We covered it on last week's show. We had Gage Birch on without question. The inaugural SFG 525 was a huge success, right? 700 plus entries in the surrounding 50 graders, 600 plus entries in the $525,000 to win main event. Not long ago, SFG announced that they are going to pay a guaranteed million dollars to win. I believe it's July 4th weekend of 2020. Just within the last couple of weeks, the Great American Race that's promoted by Galen Rollison and Britt Cummings released a guaranteed million dollar to win race Memorial Day weekend. Those two events guaranteed millions twice. Obviously, that's never happened uh, in our sports history. In addition to the original million, in addition to the Spring Fling million, plus all of these $50,000 to win, $100,000 to win, and larger events that seem to be materializing every other weekend. And there's just a lot of talk about, is this really the right direction for our sport? Is this good for bracket racing? Is this good for sportsman drag racing? Is this a deterrent? I'll throw it to you, Jed. Like, your take first, just uh, as an overall. Overall, Luke, you know, I think that is yet to be determined. That was a very political answer. But, you know, it's very exciting, obviously. There's been many naysayers for obviously over 20 years now, that, that there will never be a million-dollar race that pays me. And now there's going to be two, and they're both guaranteed, and they're both announced. Uh, details out on one, one still yet to see the details on. But that's a pretty amazing in itself. And then, of course, the other races you mentioned, the original quote-unquote million, and then the spring fling million. You got SFG's going to have another, you know, 500 or 525 or what have you. And so... It's very exciting to see what is available to the sportsman drag racer, not just in 2020, but from this point on to 2020. So I would be quite the hypocrite if I said it's not good for the sport and it's going to kill Saturday night bracket racing and it's going to kill five granders. But I will say it's it definitely has to have an impact on smaller races but I still think there's a price point in there where there's enough available racers. Those races can be successful. 
if they're put on by reputable people at good facilities. So I think those races live. What I'm more concerned about, Luke, are the what ridiculous to even say this, what are the tweeners? Twenty thousand to basically fifty thousand, and there's a ton of those. A ton. I'm more concerned about those events not only struggling because of racers basically saving for the bigger events and deciding that that's where their dollar is best spent for them to get the most entertainment and bang for their buck. And I'm also concerned about how special it'll feel. Mm -hmm. I was talking to somebody Mm -hmm. today about it. So obviously whoever wins the 20, 30, forty, fifty thousand dollar check. They're standing in the winter circle. Looks like they had a corn cob in their mouth sideways. Super excited. You just won a major payday and you're excited. But what you have to have to be have a successful event is that excitement has to be created up front. Everybody's got to picture themselves doing it and be willing to commit financially and, and physically to go to it for it to be successful. So it's not going to lose its special feeling for the winners but it could lose its special feeling for enough people to gamble their time, energy, and money to go to those events thinking how awesome it'll be to win it. And I'm concerned about those tweeners. Again, I don't think it's bad for the sport, but I definitely believe we will see an impact on some of those races. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, I think that those people that are paying 50000 and less, this sounds so ridiculous. I can't even believe I'm saying this, Luke. But the races that are paying 50000 and less, I think they've got extra work to do to create the atmosphere that they once had in comparison now to these larger events. Yeah, I think that's a fair concern. I consider myself optimistic by nature. But in saying that, like, I'm not going to sit here and say this is all sunshine and roses and everything's awesome, right? Sportsman drag racing has issues, I think, specifically when you look bigger picture further down the road. What does this thing look like 20 years from now? You know, I've addressed that before on the podcast. But with that in mind, a race, much less two races, that guarantees a million-dollar winner purse? To the extent that that's a quote-unquote problem, that's on down the list, right? I I think this is exciting. And I I just think, I just wonder, because everything looks better in retrospect. You know, we all romanticize the regular Saturday night race that, that you grew up at, that I grew up at. And we think back to the good old days. But when we were in that moment, it didn't seem like that great. You know what I mean? <laughs> when we look back, like, man, that was so awesome. At the time, we found stuff to bitch about. We found problems. You know what I mean? I feel like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we look back at this time and go, man, that was awesome. And yeah. I just, I'm afraid that so many of us will miss that because we're looking to find something wrong. So to me, and, and I, for those of you that, that listen to uh, Rex Sermon Maker's Fast Brackets podcast, I kind of use that as a primer for this discussion. This was, it was an abbreviate, abbreviated discussion that I had with Rex, but he asked me a similar question to this, and I broke it down into – like I try to think of things in terms of, of cause and effect because there are a significant percentage of racers who will argue that 
these big dollar races, whatever you consider a big dollar race, whether that's a 10 grand or a 50 grand or a million dollar to win purse, that those big dollar races are killing the local bracket scene. The cause is these big dollar races. The effect is the deterioration of the local Saturday night that, again, you and I grew up on. I understand that argument. I'm not going to say you're wrong if that's what you think. But I think you could also make a solid argument for flipping those two roles and reversing them and saying that, no, the Saturday night bracket program has run its course. And the reason that the it's now it's the cause people tired of that for a number of reasons that I'll get to in a minute. The effect of that is the explosion in popularity of the bigger events because people were looking, racers were looking for an alternative. And I think that breaks down like really simply to the purse level being commensurate with the investment that the majority of us as racers have made in our racing equipment. Because you think about it, I would say a very modest racing operation in this day and age, we're talking a truck, a small enclosed trailer, and a good solid door car, like I, I think pretty modestly you get fifty thousand dollars tied up there. I think it's really easy to double that number. And yeah. you've so let's say you've got seventy grand tied up in your operation, and to go race on Saturday night, you're gonna spend two, three hundred dollars a week. And if everything goes right and you win, you get a thousand bucks. And that when you do the math, like that doesn't make a ton of sense. Right. Yeah. And yeah, from what we've done, even on the, on the quote unquote big dollar bracket scene, you know, for years when I was coming up through it, three tens was a big deal. Three ten granders on the weekend. And we would go spend a thousand dollars through the course of the weekend to run for those three tens, not to mention that initial investment. Again, the, the, the purse was never really commensurate with what we had tied up in a racing operation. So on that, from that angle alone, I'm happy to see these huge purchase, huge purses because it is more commensurate with the money that we've got tied up. But when you span out and look big picture, like say cause and effect, however you want to argue that, I think ultimately the problem is not necessarily, again, to the extent that there is a problem in sportsman drag racing, it's not necessarily that we've got these huge purses, it's that we've allowed the cost of entry-level competition to escalate so dramatically that we need these huge purses to justify it. Yeah, I don't... I don't uh, think that's off base at all. I think that's 100% true, Luke. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a guy that used to look at those type setups and go, what are those guys, crazy? And now, you know, I, mine's fairly modest. I've got a $40,000 motorhome and a $25,000 trailer. And then, you know, my car's probably worth 2500 to three grand running. So, <laughs> you know, I've got a, you know, a golf cart that's all decked out and, so I'm way beyond where I thought I would be in my racing operation at this point in my life. And again, when I pull into the track, I, I feel like I've got a fairly modest setup in comparison to at least half the rigs there. So you're dead on with that, that, you know, the investment that we have and what we will are willing to go race for on a Saturday night. And I will. I'll go race for that. And it's probably going to be a buddy if I do make the final. And I'm probably going to make some kind of split where I win six to eight hundred bucks. And, 
knowing I probably didn't even come out ahead by the time it's all figured up, but I still go do it. So I can totally understand why people wouldn't, you know, with the investment that we have in our rigs. And yeah, because it, it don't you add can up. argue, Jed, that it's not about the money. And I get that. Like, I didn't fall in love with this sport for the money. But when you get so much money tied up in it, You'd be foolish not to at least look at the purses and the payback structure as at least somewhat of a deciding factor as to where you're going to go race as that escalates. Like, I just think it's natural to, to think along those lines. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So back to my point, like the the issue in my mind is, is again, the cost associated with entry-level competition. But I don't have a fix for that. Like, I'm afraid that that horse is, has ultimately left the barn. Like, I don't think you ever, I don't think you rein that back in at this point. Mm-mm. So at this point, like, I think that the success of these mega money events is, again, more the effect than the cause. Now, with that said, I think all of the events that we talked about in the opening, I think they succeed in 2020 overwhelmingly like i think that britain galen's guaranteed million it's a pre-entry format i'll predict right now it sells out in less than 10 minutes i mean just like that i think that the sfg million will be an overwhelming success i cannot imagine that the spring fling million and the and randy folks original million dollar races do not continue to be successful i think that they will all survive in addition to your hundred grander and for the footbreak crowd in addition to all of these you know the vast majority of these mega events because the bottom line right now is that the market supports it those races will sell out right we're in a market where racers can choose and uh, to be quite honest, like there are not only enough good races to go around, there are enough racers right now today willing to support them. So I think that's fine. But the more that we studied this, because I was just – I wanted to have this conversation strictly about these mega events and, and how every time – like this year's Spring Million was the biggest in history. Uh, last year's Million Dollar Race, I think – I don't know if the, the, the supporting crowd was quite as big as it's been in the past, you know, for the, the supporting races, but the million itself, I believe, matched the largest winner's person history, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, the SFG 500 was, was huge. So that's what I thought we were going to go with this. But as I open my eyes a little bit and see things coming in from across the country, obviously, there was record car counts at, at all of those huge events. Back-to-back weekends, Jed. The SFG 500, or 525, has 700-plus entries. The very next weekend, your World Footbreak Challenge has a record number of entries. What did you say? had 460-something? 484. 484, most that you'd ever had. That's not the same market. I mean, you could probably count on two hands the number of racers that were at SFG 525 and the World Footbreak Challenge. There's not a lot of crossover there. Yep. And yet both events are, are as more successful than they've ever been. The RJG Summer Door Course Shootout that comes up this weekend, it's the first time in history we've been oversold at deadline. I think we have, it's not huge, but we had 260 entrants on our refund deadline, over like 220 from last year. The NHRA races, the Lucas Oil Division event at Indianapolis two weeks ago, 700 plus entries. One of the largest uh, single day, you know, or single race Lucas Oil events in history. It's huge on every level, seemingly, of our sport, with the one glaring exception, back to what we talked about, for the most part, 
being the quote-unquote local Saturday night. And I realize that this is probably more exception to the rule, or at least I think that it is. But we got a message to the podcast within the last week that little old Mocan Dragway and my buddy Carl Blanton that's running that place, a couple of Saturday nights ago, regular $1,000 to win bracket race, 201 Super Pro entries. Wow. I realize that's not going on everywhere in the country, but you just look at like every level of our sport. It's not just these mega events that are being hugely successful. There are crowds filing in in record numbers to races all across the spectrum. And I guess my, my question for you is, I kind of going back to my earlier point, are these the golden years? You know, when we look back on this 10 to 15 years from now, we're like, man, it used to be so good. And right now we're caught up in why it's not perfect, right? And then more so, I want to throw this to you. What is the explanation? Because I'm not sure that I have one as to why everything right now in our sport, seemingly across the board, maybe with the exception of local bracket racing in specific areas, is so strong right now today. Well, that's a great question. I got asked that several times at the WFC, man. What did you guys do different? You know, you had 383 last year, which is wonderful. I mean, that was an amazing crowd for us. And then this year you go 101 above that, and they're like, what would you do different? Absolutely nothing. Didn't do anything different. Promote it the same way every time. It's the same format. It's it's the same race. It was just a, a year later. So obviously a very strong economy and everybody's money is quote-unquote right that helps a lot um there's a ton of business owners in the pits and their businesses are probably thriving there's a ton of employees that have available overtime and bonuses and commissions and i think that uh, for the most part 60 to 70 percent of your racing crowd is probably experiencing more income than they've ever had so that's definitely leading to it. Luke, I think social media is a major, plays a major role. You know, no offense to the SFG gang, but I couldn't make it to Michigan. That was a long way for me. It just don't work out with my vacation schedule and what I can go do. But every time I looked at Facebook, everybody I knew was going, and it made me want to be there. And if there was any way, shape, form, or fashion that my schedule would have allowed it, I probably would have gone just to go experience it, be a part of it. It was huge. I believe the WFC is a social gathering. I think you go where your buddies go, and the more buddies that attend something, the more you want to attend it. Is there one root cause to what success these races are experiencing? I don't believe so. I think it's obviously a a laundry list of things that are making races so good right now, but for the most part, I believe those promoters have done a great job of creating an atmosphere that people want to be a part of and making it feel special, which, you know, as far as what I led with, I'm concerned about what you do now to make those tweeners feel special and make get people excited about dreaming or, or, or feeling like they could go win it and be the person holding the big check because uh, you got to do that up front to have a successful event, not just pay a lot of money. So, I know I rambled a little bit there, but I don't know one core thing that is causing it, but I believe there's a lot of things, but I I think for the most part, promoters are doing a great job. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think your point about the economy is, is solid. I don't know, like 
as a whole, are we making that much more money than we did five years ago? But maybe so. Maybe so. And to your point, like business owners, more opportunities in general. I could see that. You know, the economy is strong. There's no no doubting that. I completely agree with your bit about destination races. And I think I don't know. I think they're smart enough that this was probably intentional. Like to me, Pete and Kyle kind of transformed this and made their fling brand really destination events. And I don't think that that's based solely on the purse. The World Footbreak Challenge is a destination event. And since the first two years, like it's not been the biggest paying footbreak race on the landscape, right? But it is, I think you could argue, the most prestigious footbreak race. NHRA's had this market cornered for years. Like their purses are minuscule in comparison to anything else that's going on but it is a big deal to win a national event it's a big deal even when a points meet you know what i mean like there's prestige involved there and to your point i think social media definitely plays a role in that i think uh i think it's important to be able i'll admit i don't completely understand this maybe i'm showing my age a little bit but i think it's important to be able to say that you were there and at some point at some point, sometimes I question if it's really important to even be there and like associate with the people that you are around as much as it is to say that you were there and associate with the people that don't have the opportunity. You know what I mean? Like that's, (laughs) that's what Instagram and Facebook is to some extent to me. Like, look at me, I'm here. Right. But there's definitely something to that. And I think to your point that promoters have done a really good job in building the brands of their events up. Your race is a good example. I think our race is a good example, too, of being a a marquee event that doesn't necessarily have this blow-away purse, right? I don't think that the two necessarily have to be intertwined. And then I don't guess it's a completely new idea, but the ability to finance entry fees, I think, opens this up a little bit. I don't know. Like I I push back against that a lot because I I would like to think as a general rule, racers are smarter than saying, oh, well, you know, it's $5,000 to enter. Will you take a credit card? Oh, hell, I thought you wanted money. Yeah, I'll enter. (laughs) I mean, I I think we're smarter than that. And and that kind of brings to this is like a a bone to pick for me. But the, the silliest thing that I've seen, and I have seen it a lot over the course of the last month on social media is now these races coming up going to be a lot of broke MFers out there in 2020. <laughs> Are you an idiot? Like you don't have to go to the damn race. If you don't have the money, don't enter. Do you know what's going to happen to you? Do you know what's going to happen if you don't decide to go to this specific race? Get over yourself. The race is going to do fine. Someone's still going to win. The show will go on. They're going to have one less car. They're probably still going to make money. Like we have this huge, you know, what's it called? FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. You're like, oh man, if I'm not there, like what's, what's going to happen, right? And fear of missing out on that big event, like let's be real, real honest with ourselves here. That's not an SFG problem. That's not a, a fling brand problem. That's not a great American problem or a folk racing promotion problem. If you think that you have to be there for the race to kind of take place, to be successful, to be what it could be, that's a you problem. Like, get over yourself. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I, there was a time in my life where I thought they couldn't race unless I showed up. Oh, so me too. I, Absolutely. I, I had to be at all of them. I'm, I'm friendly with most of the promoters. So like I want to support them, but you know what? 
It's like 40 weekends a year. I can't go to all of them. I have no desire to go to all of them. But you know what I learned about 10 years ago? Like I didn't go to the Ledford's 50 grander. And I had been eight, 10 years in a row, right? I just, I'm going to be there because I love that race and they do a great job and I'm going to support it. And then for whatever reason, one year I didn't go. You know what happened? Somebody won. They still they raced. Had, they had a bunch of cars. I don't even think they realized I wasn't there. It was fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah, you're right about that. That's uh, and and there is a lot of FOMO out there, uh, and hopefully there aren't a lot of broke MFers and all that. But it's definitely a you know used to you went racing and th- it wasn't a decision to make. Like you didn't figure up, you didn't put enough money in your in your wallet to make sure that you covered everything. But now with the cost of, of everything and some of these entry fees and buybacks and those things, it's, you know, it's a decision to make. And hopefully people are making smart ones out there. Luke, I, I mean, the economy obviously is good. And uh, again, racers have different options on how they can pay for entries. But if people do overspend grossly like that, Obviously, that would damage the sport, but I just really feel like those naysayers that sit back and talk about how broke everybody's going to be, I don't think they really understand how much money some of these people have. I think a lot of these guys in the pits are not just putting on a show with their rigs and their race cars. I think some of those dudes got some serious change, and people just need to give credit where credit's due. Some of these guys have done very well for themselves and have good livings and good jobs and money piled up and they can do what they want to with it so quit being naysayers and saying everybody's going to go broke just because it would break me doesn't mean they had to break all them i think that's really well put because i think if we're honest with this and this is kind of my overall takeaway here is that the economy is really strong right now it's really good for those of us that have it good and if you're going to be honest with yourself like if you're listening to this podcast, you have some degree of disposable income. Like you own a race car, right? If you take the forget even the United States, like you take the world at large, if you're listening to this, you are probably in the top 1% in, in terms of, of financial ability in your life. And for those of us who have it good, like we're thriving right now in this strong economy. And we've already made this investment. Like we already chose to. This racing thing is where some of our discretionary income is going to go. It's where we're going to spend our time. It's where we have our passion. And now that we've made that investment, the only way that we can justify that investment is to race for all the same reasons that we've always justified it, just on a bigger scale, whether that's for the hope of monetary gain, whether that is for prestige and, and status, whether that is to have fun and enjoy ourselves with a very particular group of friends and people that we enjoy being surrounded with. The economy is good for those of us that have it good. Now, the question then becomes, like, what happens when things aren't quite as strong and when that money isn't you know, as easy to come by? And I guess that will be the test. I don't know when that day will come, but it'll come because it's all cyclic. We've been there before, and in, in racing terms, same. Is it cyclic or cyclic? cyclic? I think it's cyclic. Okay, I'll go with cyclic. But we've been through this, Jet, on a different level, you know, monetarily. But we've been through this era where there's big dollar bracket races that pop up left and right, and there's every other weekend, and it seems really oversaturated. And then ultimately, 
the racers don't have the money to support all of them or don't have the time to support all of them. And a few races fail, and that scares off other promoters. And the next thing you know, it's a year or two later, and where there was a big dollar race every weekend, now there's like one every three months all of a sudden. And then guess what happens? There's more demand than supply. So those one races every three months have a million cars. And then the promoters are like, oh, wait, the market's good again. Let's put on more races. <laughs> right? And the cycle begins all over again. Now, in, and that'll happen again. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. But I was thinking about this the other day. And when you think back through, you know, at least the, the history of Big Dollar Bracket Racing since I've been involved in it now for, you know, what, 20, 25 years, purses have never decreased, you know, significantly. They've plateaued and at times plateaued for a long time. You know, 10, 15 years where, like every race that we went to, big race, paid $10,000 to win, right? And the, it, it was that plateau for a long time. But it never went backwards. So I'm curious to see now, you've got $500,000 to win races, million-dollar guaranteed to win races. If and when this cycle goes on, on the backside, do the purses decrease or does that become common? Because they've never decreased in the past. Yeah, obviously that remains to be seen, and that's a, a great question. But, you know, just sitting listening to you talk about it, <laughs> and I've said it already during the podcast, but there's two races next year that are going to pay the winner one million doolers. <laughs> Luke, how ridiculous is that? How many races? Like I said, my racing operation is fairly modest, but it's the nicest stuff I could get. There are so many races available to me next year with one good win that I could pay for my entire racing operation, pay it back, if you will. It's unbelievable. You know, as you said, we've all spent way more money than we could ever return for the most part, but not anymore. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. There's two races going to pay a million dollars to the winner next year. What is available again to racers right now is, is unbelievable. Are these the golden years? Yes. They have to be the golden years if you are all about prestige and notoriety and recognition and big freaking paychecks. Now, do I think I raced in the golden years when I started? I really do. I think it was very affordable. There were tons of people at the racetrack that couldn't win, and that's how we filled the pits with people that couldn't win the race. You beat up on them all night till you got down to the last six or eight cars and that was guys that could win you had to win a couple of rounds to get to the final with people that had the, the same skill level you had not anymore the pits are filled with people that can win the best equipment money can buy great technology skill and to see what is happening in these car counts when you leave the house and drive 500 600 700 miles knowing knowing that you probably have to average 15th hour better package for the day to win this race. And we still do it with the expense. I mean, it's unbelievable what's being accomplished right now in racing by these promoters. So uh, I believe these are the golden years in terms of just overall amazing feelings for being part of an event. You just nailed that and articulated it in a way that I'd never really thought of, Jed. Because you're right, in what we call the heyday, like when I was coming up, the pits were filled with racers that couldn't win the race. And yet, 
were really content to be there. Oh yeah, loved it. And but now they forty bucks. Right now, the cost has come up to the point that, the, with rare exception, you can't afford to be there knowing that you're not competitive, and be content. And that's the change. And and what that's done, to your point, is make an unbelievably high level and a very level playing field. Makes it harder to win, without question. But that's interesting. I'd never really thought about it from that perspective. We don't have a significant percentage of non-competitive entrants that are content with that. And that has changed. You're right. Most definitely. All right. Let's transition just a little bit from this what's best for drag racing as a whole conversation. Maybe we'll circle back to it a little bit later on. But specific to maybe not even solely the mega, mega events, um, but big dollar bracket racing in general, let's talk a little bit race structure. And I'll lead this in by talking about the SFG model, because if you've listened to the podcast for long, you know that I have made some negative comments, or at the very least inferred them, about the SFG structure on the show in the past. Always about the structure, never about the promoters, the people, whatever. And this event, going back to the SFG 525, this event was an overwhelming success. So I get the impression, and I've gotten a few messages, uh, a few DMs, that uh, there's like an expectation for me to eat some crow. I'm sorry to disappoint. I'm not going to do that. I'm still not a fan of the event structure. That's me personally, as a racer, at my place in life and my personal taste. It doesn't mean that the the structure is flawed. It just means that I'm personally not a fan of it. An event designed to have 450 plus cars on the ground, like that's the intention when you roll that flyer out, plus double entries, same car, same driver, plus a re-entry round, like it doesn't, you don't have to be a, a mathematician to realize like it's a marathon. There's no way to condense that into a, what would be a quote unquote normal day's racing. And that doesn't appeal to me, but that just has a lot to do with my place in life. Like, I got two young kids that are going to get up at 6.30 in the morning, and they don't give a damn that I went to bed at 4 or 1 or 2 or whenever. They're getting up at 6 or 6.30. And so, like, that doesn't appeal to me. And I personally, again, just me, I would rather, and I, I have said before, and I firmly believe I'm in the minority on this, I would rather pay a greater entry fee to race with fewer cars for the same purse. I, again, realize I'm not in the, major, in the majority, but that's what I would personally prefer to do. Now, with that said, specific to the SFG 525, the structure, like, I knew what I was getting into when I rolled in the gate. Right? No surprise. I didn't expect there to be 700 entries. You know, we covered that on the last podcast. But I knew the event structure. And given that structure... Like, I got to give a tip of the hat to Kyle Riley, to AJ Ash, to the SFG staff. They had a hell of a job. Like, I don't, you can't look back on a five-day event and ever say that it was perfect. But if I'm going to take issue with anything, that any decision that was made or any of the way that that event was run, it would be nitpicky. Like, they did a hell of a job. They ran an efficient program, a very efficient program. The main event still started with no time trial at 8 a.m. and finished at 4 a.m. And that was one of five long days of the event. Right? There's just no yeah. way to do it and get it all in. There's too many cars. So 
Let's talk a little bit race structure, okay? Because the reason, Jed, that that race structure is so popular, like it doesn't take a rocket scientist, the entry fee is considerably cheaper than the other quote-unquote richest events around, which in this case would be the $2 million races. And the guaranteed purse, the $525,000 winner's purse at least, is significantly higher. So when you combine that value in terms of entry fee to purse – with the fact that the guaranteed purse, the number is so huge, like you get the guys, the the racers that okay, I can spend less money and race for a lot. You also get the the racers like me that like I've got that FOMO, right? I can't imagine not going to a race that pays half a million dollars to win. Somebody's going to win half a million dollars. I should be there, right? <laughs> so, in that respect, double entries, same car, same driver, are allowed which seems incredibly popular and and well-received. However, when you double enter, it costs more money to enter than the other events that I just mentioned, like entry to the the original million or the Spring Fling million, $2,000. Entry to the SFG race, assuming that you entered like at the first available opportunity, I think was $1,200 or $1,250, right? Okay, so it's $1,250 less money to race for more. Except now you can double enter. So everybody double enters. And now it's $2,500 to enter. So now it's actually more entry money to raise for more. Right? And the argument is, well, you don't have to double enter. I'll push back against that. Because while I don't think it's necessarily a significant advantage as a racer to double enter, I do firmly believe it is a significant disadvantage to single enter. And here's why. Let's take, for example, Jed, you and I go to mega bracket race. I buy one entry and you buy two. Same car, same driver. And we meet first round. And let's say that I win with my single entry. Okay? So you're out. You have to buy back. You come back on your second entry. Let's say that you lose first round. So you have to buy back twice. It's getting expensive for Jed. No surprise there. I like, I like where you're headed with this. <laughs> Jed comes back into the re-entry round, wins his first entry. You win your second entry. You come back into round two, you win your first entry in round two, and then you come back around to the staging lanes, and guess what? We're paired up. You and I run again. Now, I beat you however many hours ago that was. Yeah. And since that time, I have not been down the racetrack. And I've been racing all day. You have been down the racetrack four times (laughs) in the same car that we're about to square off in. So I think... It's a disadvantage to single enter. I think it's hard to argue against that. And this is coming from someone that went to SFG thinking, I got two kids, my wife's racing, like, I'm just going to enter once. It's really, really difficult. Like, how much of an advantage then, because I said, I think it's a disadvantage to single. I don't know that it's a huge advantage to double because everybody's doubled. Like, yeah, you got to lose twice, but so does everybody else. And now instead of 350 entries to deal with, you got 600 plus. It doesn't really like add a round necessarily to the event. Typically in that instance it does, but not always. But it adds incredible length to the event. Like it's just like from a pure logistics standpoint, it's almost impossible to do it in a day. Yeah, no, no doubt, Luke. So obviously again, here if I if I condemned double entering the same car, same driver. Sure. I would be quite the hypocrite. I put on foot brake races with my, my man Steve Stites and. Well, let's mo- let's let's look at the different structures. Go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt. 
Right. No, and and that's where I was headed. So you know, I'm we allow that, which you know, it's our opinion that if you're going to allow any form of doubles, you allow every form of doubles. And I get why that doesn't work in some race formats, and it does in some. We're foot brake racing, so you you don't have those mega crowds without allowing it, and we just. And no, no brag, just fact. Very, very fortunate and blessed. But we just had the largest foot brake only crowd in the history of our sport. It was 484 entries, and a, a large portion of that crowd was double entered. Uh, I mean, a bunch. So what do you have without it? It would definitely have been closer to 300, maybe slightly less than that, which is still a good crowd, but that was an anomaly. Is it's the largest crowd ever. So you, you get way below that for standard races or our average race, if you will. Now, on the Super Pro side, where people are basically begging to get in some races and they're paying more than face value for entries for people that own those entries and can't attend or won't attend, whatever reason, it's a good debate is what it is. You know, does it make sense? Does it not make sense? And I would think that at some point, it's going to be a major hurdle to overcome, uh, especially with the, as you mentioned earlier, with the expense that it takes to double enter some of these large events. Uh, Again, not condemning it. I'm a proponent of it when it fits the race structure and the classes that are racing. But for some of these races that are getting major record crowds, I do think that it's going to start to be more of a challenge than it is a help. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to skin this cat. And we've seen the process handled in a variety of different ways over the course of the last two decades, right? So I think it I think it essentially boils down into four relatively common structures as to double entry procedures, right? or if they're even allowed, the first being a driver can drive two cars and or a car can be driven by two drivers. It's the only way you can double enter. You can't double enter same car, same driver. This would be like this was the the format for the B&M series. And I think from there kind of became the adopted format of most big dollar bracket races up until the last maybe five years. Right. The argument against that is that it's elitist because just what you said, Jed. You know, that if you can double any which way, you should be able to double every which way. This format excludes the driver that doesn't have two cars and or doesn't have a buddy willing to share with him or and or doesn't have the money to double enter. Right. So the the second option of the four would be um, the model that the fling had picked up initially and I think was still the spring fling million set up until this year. But was that the, a car can only go down the track once per round. And the knock on that is that it's probably even more elitist yet because then the only way really that you can double enter is to own two different race cars. Now, I realize that I'm coming into this as a, as a driver that has driven two different race cars in most of the events that I've entered over the last 10 years, right? So obviously I'm a little bit biased. But I will say, I'll make the argument that... While I realize that that is an elitist structure, quote unquote, I would argue that it is not nearly as significant an advantage for me to go down the racetrack twice in one round in two separate race cars 
as it would be for me to go down the racetrack twice the same round in the same race car. Okay, so I realize I get I get twice the chances to win, but if back to the situation that I just outlined now, if you're single entered and I'm double entered, I don't think I have a significant advantage against you if I come back for my second entry of the round in a separate race car. I don't care how much you try to make cars identical, like, and I've tried. They have a mind of their own, right? And you just don't, it doesn't necessarily translate from one to the other. If I get to come back after making a run that you didn't get to make in the same race car, it's a significant advantage to double enter. So that format, yes, more elitist, too, but also I think is a disadvantage to the racer that can only afford to enter once no matter what or chooses to enter once no matter what. Yeah, definitely agree with your assessment or opinion on that for the most part. But look, now I will argue against that being the case 100% of the time where it's not a significant advantage driving two cars over one because there are races where the wind's blowing like crazy and the air quality changes quite a bit, especially like at a Bristol or Vegas. So I I do think there's an advantage to have an additional shot at it when you know, you know, this thing is 200 fast or is 200 slow. And I would think for the most part, somebody driving two cars, their stuff's good enough that that repeats itself no matter what car you're in. So I would think there are times where it is an advantage. Do I believe that 100%? No, but I think there are situations where having a second opportunity, regardless if it's a different car or not, is an advantage. We can agree there, and I think the the differences are, are splitting hairs largely. But I think that both of those entry formats are flawed in terms of fairness. I think that most everyone listening you and I included, can agree that the two most fair models for this are the SFG model and the WFC model, where you can double any which way you want to double, right? Same car, same drivers, fine. Makes it a fair playing field for everyone, but I would argue kind of forces double entry, which actually drives the cost up, and in some cases can make event efficiency impossible. The other option would be everyone single enters like no driver goes down the track more than once around no car goes down the track more than once around and that's what the format will be at the upcoming fall fling admittedly not completely by design right that's the that's what we had to fall back into when too many entries came in in a flood and and basically the internet wasn't able to keep up i personally love this format like i love the idea of i got one shot and you got one shot and johnny jack over there's got one shot and we're all gonna go out there and duke it out like i love that i think that's fair and i think it's more efficient but with in saying that historically that format has not been supported like that's what uh, i guess 10 tuck didn't necessarily do that like there have been racers that tried that over the years and they fell by the wayside moroso the five day was like that in its heyday. The five days not around anymore, right? So I think the opportunity is there for something like the Fall Fling to do this. I think the SFG races could do this and, and weather it because there's so much demand for their events. 
I don't think it's the answer for everyone, but I would argue that those are the two fairest formats. And at these mega events, I would argue that simply for an efficiency standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, and from a entry cost management standpoint, I think you could make a significant argument that nobody should go down the track more than once around. Yeah, obviously I love that. I'm a guy that only has the ability to get one car to the track barely can get it there a lot of times and i uh, love the op- the opportunity to race against everyone having one shot again not against the double entry model as long as it allows me to drive the same car i don't have the ability to get two cars there so look we had this discussion about why we're seeing so many more double ups in nhra competition over the last i don't know 3 years 4 years maybe uh, that seems to have increased quite a bit. And the point I made at the time was the better racers are taking two cars to the track. And that's why you're seeing that increase in double-ups or, or near double-ups sometimes. Same goes for big money bracket racing. Your better, more talented racers that have a whole nother level of commitment to this sport and are very well funded for the most part are taking two opportunities and you know it's showing up in the results again not i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm just saying that's reality and that's what's happening it doesn't stop me from going i don't care how many entries somebody's got i don't have to beat everybody at the track i just got to beat the one beside me and you know we tend to get on social media and take the mentality that how am i going to beat luke bogacki two times or gary williams two times or you don't have to beat them two times unless you stage beside them two times. And the likelihood of that is very slim. So just beat the one beside you and don't worry about how many entries everybody's got. However, I do love what is happening with the, the Fall Fling 500K and that everybody's got one shot at it. And I'm very interested to see, you know, if those crazy packages get thrown at your normal picks to win and if if you know if we if you have just a single entry race do do we get that quote unquote unknown nobody's unknown anymore because everybody wins a little bit somewhere here or there but do we get that unknown that big winner that you know was just equal to everybody else and had one shot very excited to see how that plays out again make sure everybody understands i'm not condemning the other way but i'm very interested to see the impact this has on the results yeah no i think there's a time and place for everything but i i think i think we can agree that those last two formats are probably the most fair you can either double everything any which way or you can't double it all you know yeah. what i mean like i i i could i could make the arguments uh, otherwise and i mean you heard me try but ultimately if you just want to talk fairness and level of competition those are probably the two fairest ways to do it one thing that i want to touch on before we get out of here, Jed, is, as we mentioned, like everything is thriving right now. Whatever you attribute that to, whether it's solid economy, whether it's the ability to finance, whether it's the, the role of social media, these destination events, combination of all of them, more than likely, things are great right now. What happens when we're on the backside of this cycle? Because that's inevitable. That's going to come at some point. And I'll just throw out there, I was thinking about this right down the road, my like fix isn't really the right word, but my what I'll throw out there for what it would take long term 
for big dollar bracket races to survive at their current level when things aren't as good, like the economy is weaker, there's less money to go around, however you want to, to, to phrase that. And here's the three options that I'll throw out there, okay? Because the, I think ultimately the answer is that the money has to come from beyond the field of competition, from beyond entry fees and buybacks. In my mind, like the simplest way to put that is three options. Number one is the, the spectator model, which I've preached here before, right? It's simple, it's actionable, it's effective. It's the idea that we make our sport interesting enough that people want to watch it. I think the stories are there. I think we just do a really poor job of telling them. And well, Luke, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you there, but if, if, if anybody wants to try to figure out how to make that work, come to the Jig Summer Door Car Shootout. It's ridiculous the amount of people you race in front of. And look, I couldn't care less about running in front of people until I get to run in front of people. And I'm like, this is pretty freaking cool. Exactly. You know, when I drive by empty grandstands on a Saturday night, who cares? I don't even notice it. But I tell you what, when there's 1,200 people out there watching you race Saturday night, it's pretty freaking cool. So, sorry, go ahead. It's fun, and I think more importantly, it helps subsidize the purse where you can race for 100% or close to 100% of entry fees and buybacks, right? And the, the race promoter or the track, they're making money off the spectators because that's, I mean, that's the circle track model, right? Yeah, the spectators uh, go to the concession stand. Yes. So that's something that I think is more easily done than people realize, specifically in this day and age of social media. And I would just challenge race promoters and race tracks to take advantage of that like it's i want to say it's free money in this market and in, in in our market here where we live there's not a lot of competition for the entertainment dollar so it's a pretty easy sell but i think we could do a better job of telling the story of what's going on whether locally or regionally or nationally and get more interest in our sport and that's good for everybody so that's my first you know bullet point the spectator model the second one this is something that i thought about for years and i know i'm not the only one that's thought about this and it's becoming more and more realistic as the the laws change and basically each state uh, has the ability to legalize gaming independent you know to their to their state and that's the gambling model like for years, I've wondered why sportsman drag racing specifically, really any sort of drag racing, hasn't gone more the way of horse racing and allowed outside interests to, to bet on even specific rounds of competition. That's I think it would bring more interest to our sport. I don't know if it's necessarily the clientele that you want to bring in, but it's hard to argue that it would not bring significantly more money into our sport, which would be, in theory, at least good for all of us. So there's the gambling model, which I think is becoming more and more doable by the day. And then thirdly is, so you get spectator, you get gambling. Uh, the third one is the television model. And that's where Brit's going with this guaranteed million thing. Like, they haven't released all of the details yet, but it is my understanding and impression that this is going to be a national television program. And I'm just telling you, I think I've said this before on the podcast, I've said this for years, if you can make the quote-unquote stars of the World Series of Poker, like, by definition, degenerate gamblers seem <laughs> interesting, 
And like you want to follow them and you have a rooting interest, whether you love them or hate them, like you want to see what happens in the next hand. If you can do that with those guys, you cannot convince me that you can't do that with our crowd in sports and drag racing. We have some characters. Oh, man. Tons of personality out there. And definitely as many or more than you see on the on those type shows that you mentioned. So, yeah, no doubt about it. Looking forward again. Details hadn't been released, as you said, but looking forward to seeing how they turn that into some type of television show. And the people involved in that television end of it are people that understand how to get you interested in certain characters and people. So if you know what I mean. So that's it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, and that that model, like the amount of revenue that that could bring in that would ultimately infiltrate down to all of us, that would increase purses, that would lower entry fees, like that's exciting. And I'm, I'm interested to see where that goes and how much advantage they can take of it. But ultimately, like however you want to skin that cat, I think that that's the answer, quote unquote, or at least part of the answer a decade from now, two decades from now, is that there has to be revenue within our sport that comes from outside of our sport that doesn't isn't generated by the racers. Yeah, well said. Is that all we got? Well, Luke, uh, pretty much wraps us up. I mean, we got uh, a little bit of business here to pay a couple of bills and do a wrap-up. But yeah, I think um, our opinions have been shared and... If we still have anyone listening, there's just a little bit left to go. Yeah, yeah. No shouts. A couple of mid-rolls. We'll be back next week or maybe the week after with regularly scheduled programming. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this. Hope it fuels a little bit greater debate in your uh, local racing community or via social media. And uh, you can tell us everything that we got wrong. That's what we're here for. At me. I'm at Lee Gacky. He's at JP11X. And uh, let us know what you think. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. The IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular's next stop is in Ferris, Texas at Extreme Raceway Park bringing a $1,200 Saturday to win and a $2,000 Sunday to win in pro and super pro. Along with that terrific value, the Summit Sportsman Spectacular will also feature street, juniors, and quick 16. There will be round prizes, IHRA member bonuses, and Ironman trophies for pro, super pro, and juniors. Come on out to Extreme Raceway Park, July the 26th through the 28th. 
to see what all Summit Sportsman Spectacular is about. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Pennington. I was in my Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.